listening to Mint Condition with Brad Slater, a sports card podcast for the collector by a collector. Well, well, well. We made it. Episode four, Mint Condition. I am Brad Slater. Thank you for joining me. Great show today. It's been a good week, too. Again, no luck in breaks. All luck on eBay. So maybe we'll talk about eBay sniping. How to get that card you want and not lose out last second. Because there's nothing worse than watching a card for seven days and then at the last second, you get outbid, you forget, you get distracted. So I got a couple tips. Nothing crazy. Chances are you might have thought about this already, but you know what? I'm going to tell it to you anyways. But as always, I like to start the show off with my guest of the week. And my guest this week will be Blake Jameson. Project 2020, Project 70, Project 51 artist. Very, very talented man. Loves baseball, loves sports. So coming up next, my guest of the week, Blake Jameson. You're listening to Mint Condition with Brad Slater. My guest today, to put it bluntly, is a very talented and creative genius. You've seen his work in Project 2020, 70, and his own line, 51. This man also knows his way around the garden. He is Blake Jameson. Good morning, Blake. Man, blessed. I'm, I'm really good, man. I'm happy to fucking be in the garden. Also, oh man, it's early in the podcast to check on this, but can I swear? Because oh, I say yeah. fucking a lot, but no. it's always, always in like a good way. Everything is everything is off limits here, man. You can say whatever you want, you know, within reason. Cool. Paint the picture for yeah. me right now. Yeah. What? Where are you and, and what are you looking at right now? So I am back uh, in a barn and it's, I mean, it's where I grew up as a child. I used to come here and visit my grandparents. They bought this property in 1968. And it was just dirt. And it's a couple acres, and they had horses. They were really into horses. And so we had this like horse pasture at the back of the property behind this barn that I'm sitting in. And for like 40, 50 years, it was nothing but horses pooping all over it, <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> fertilizer. Hey, uh, it helps it grow. So right? It does, man. It's, uh, you know, circle of life. And so I am, uh, I'm sitting back in my art studio and this is the very first art studio that I ever really took painting seriously in. And it's very different than when I moved back here to California just like six months ago. I remodeled it. I knocked down a wall. I added eight windows and I added these big eight foot double doors that open up to the back of the property, which used to be the horse pasture. And we had our, our last horse spook who was kind of my studio buddy for a long time. Uh, he passed away. He was like 55 years old, just super fucking old for a horse. Yeah. And I had this idea at first. Uh, I went to my grandma. I said, Grandma, I think we should plant a tree for Spook in his paddock. And she liked that idea. And then I meditated on it more and I thought about it more. And like, I've been talking about gardening for quite some time. I spent the last four years in New York before I just moved back to California. And, I had a lot of indoor plants. I think a lot of people in New York, um, I've never met like a, like people in an area that like all pretty much share this like love for like indoor plants because in New York, the only trees that you see are like in the middle of a fucking, uh, one of those little median, you know, in between the roads and they'll have like a little four foot by four foot section carved out and they'll put a tree there, but it's kind of sad. And so people put 
plants in their house. And I had a lot of plants in my house in New York, the hanging kind of dangly vines. And I had an eight-foot palm tree in my New York studio. Who would take care of them when you'd go away, though? That's a lot of responsibility. Who'd be taking care of them? So it is. Um, I had a roommate, uh, Mike O'Day, who's amazing, and he loves plants, too. And so he would be the caretaker when I leave. But really, like, and I'm still learning about plants quite a bit. Like, I have no formal training in gardening or, or whatever. But, like, you can basically blood a plant, like, once a week. Sometimes it can go two weeks. If you give it a really, really good soil-soaking water, just... I mean, I would take my plant into the bathtub and I would like turn on the shower and just completely soak that soil. And then I could leave for, for two weeks and come back and like the plants would still be super happy. So I didn't have too much uh, trouble in terms of like babysitting there. But yeah, now I'm back kind of what I feel like is like on my homeland and back in my original studio, which now is like kind of retooled and, and now it's like a new kind of conduit for creativity for me. I was going to say, and do I you feel uh, the fire's been refueled? Do you see, do you feel like the, the, the energy more than My ever goodness. right now? It does, man. And, and you know, I like, so for, for people who don't know my story, I actually, I like, I grew up in a really creative household. And my parents, like my whole family is artists of, of different kinds of sorts. And so, you know, when you're growing up as a kid, like I got the opportunity to like make a lot of art and I really, really enjoyed it and it fed my soul. But then like, you know, society and, and stuff, like my parents were like, you should go to art school. And I was just thinking like about that cliche of the starving artist and like, I don't want to fucking starve. Yeah. I want to thrive. And so I, I like <laughs> disobeyed them. I was like, no, I'm not going to art school. I'm going <laughs> to go study economics and I'm going to get a fucking business job. And so I did that. I studied economics at Davis and I was a fucking terrible, terrible economics student because it didn't feed my soul and I didn't care. Numbers suck. But I did it. Yeah. And then uh, I kind of parlayed that into social media marketing. And so it was right. This was in like 2009 that I graduated college. And so that's when like Facebook was kind of becoming something that people use for business. Because yep. when I was in college, UC Davis was one of the one of the early campuses that Facebook was on after they expanded to the West Coast. It was part of the first like thirteen schools or something they opened with, and so I was really early on Facebook. We used this just as like a social tool, and um, that was my first foray into social media, and I really liked it. I, I'm like sometimes I'm an introvert, but also like I can I can spread my wings and go fucking be a be a little social butterfly, I guess. And so Facebook kind of gave me this nice balance and I did that. And then brands started using it. My first job out of college was actually at Zynga, which is a gaming company in San Francisco. And they made like Farmville and Mafia Wars and a bunch of games that, okay. I mean, now looking, now looking back, like it kind of ruined uh, Facebook, like, like notifications. Cause it'd be like your friends playing Farmville, make sure to join them. <laughs> no. Um, but it's funny, you know, now I'm fucking back in my fucking homeland playing Farmville <laughs> in real life. Um, and so I, I did that for, for quite a while. Yeah. I spent eight years uh, in marketing. And, like, throughout that, I learned that, like, marketing allows me to kind of flex my creativity. And, you know, I, a client comes to me or, or a job or whatever, and they say, hey, we have this thing. We want to get attention for it. Like, let's figure out a way to make people pay attention to this. And, like, one of the early things that I sold after Zynga, which was an amazing job, uh, I worked for a pool 
supply company. So we literally, we're selling like chlorine tablets and, uh, you know, hot tubs and fucking swimming pool stuff. And so like it allowed me to like be creative and find interesting ways to reach people who have swimming pools. And that used to be a problem. Like we didn't used to have all this data that we have about everyone, but I found this like really interesting overlap where the people on Facebook that liked cruises, like Carnival Cruise Line, those people love love water. And so those people tend to have swimming pools. And I figured that out pretty early in like Facebook advertising days where you could target, oh, well, you can target people with this ad of people who like cruises. Yeah. And so I did that. And I, man, I sold like, almost $3 million of chlorine in my first summer with that job. And like, they were just blown away. Like what social media could do. Cause like, that's a, like chlorine, that's a lot of fucking chlorine. Right. (laughs) And that was, that was our main, that was our bread and butter product. That's how we made money. And so I figured out a way how to target people that had a high likelihood of having a pool and anyone that has a pool needs to do some type of like chemical, like water management. And so I just kind of like, I cracked that code. And I did it and I was like, well, that's fun. And then I kind of parlayed that into like all these other clients where people will come to me and say, well, I don't know if my business is like, it might be too mature for Facebook. You know, that's for the kids. And I'm like, no, no, every, every business is coming online eventually. Yeah. And so I can sell chlorine tablets through, uh, you know, Facebook and Instagram ads. I'm certain that I could sell your widget or your product, you know, or your service. And so I did that for a long time and it was always a new creative challenge where, I had a new product and I said, okay, well, let's figure out how we can reach these customers and show them what you have to offer. And like doing that over and over again, especially on products that like, I didn't particularly, I wasn't passionate about like fucking chlorine. (laughs) I didn't care about chlorine. I didn't own a pool, but like, I just, I knew how to get in front of those people. And so like, I had this like really, I don't know, strong confidence that I could sell anything. Like you tell me what you have and who your customer is, and I will help you find them. I'm going to use, you know, the tools that we have at our disposal, social media, and I'm going to sell it. And and I did that for a very long time. Uh, well, I say a very long time. I don't know. It's fucking eight years. So it wasn't that long. But I did it, like, really well for eight years. And I was, like, working my way up this kind of marketing uh, career path. And I was working in Arizona at the time, and I had, like, you know – a half a dozen people working under me and I had this, my own cubicle and my own little kind of media, like audio video studio that I would create content in. And then I fucking woke up on my 30th birthday and, uh, I was just like, fuck man, I'm like, I'm good at this, but I fucking hate Mondays and I love Friday. And I fill the time in between fucking Friday and Monday with like some type of creative project. I had bought a house in Arizona and I was remodeling it and, and just like, but your brain stuck on Friday, like your brain stuck on Friday. And then as soon as it's like Sunday night, nine 30, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. No, I get totally. It. I get it. Totally. man. And so, you know, that was basically my 30th birthday is when I decided, I said, you know what? Fuck this. Like, you know, who knows how many fucking lives we get, but we definitely get at least one. And, you know, after that, like whatever. And so like, I just didn't want to spend my life not enjoying like five out of the seven days every week. And so I left, left that job. I put my notice in and I didn't know for sure. Like I was going to leave and then I was going to go become an artist. It was just like, 
I just need to do something and find something that like feeds my soul every day. And so I went to Barcelona, Spain with a backpack. I'd never been to Europe. I was really like, then to like Mexico and Canada, but I was not But I went to Barcelona and in Barcelona, there's like a really vibrant street art and graffiti community. Oh, I love that. And stuff, so man. me too, man. Like graffiti started, we're also like commercial, you know, they, they, bridging the gap of they get to express themselves in the streets and make this art but they also like they make a lot of money doing it they're not starving artists and i know that money's not everything but it sure it certainly helps make things easier sometimes oh, yeah. and i knew that like you know seeing their success made me feel like well there's there's some kind of path where i could be an artist and like not be starving and so when i came back uh to the united states from that trip was five weeks in Barcelona. I was like dead set um, on painting. And like when I was there, I was actually, I went out in the streets and I painted some graffiti and I met some other artists that were like super supportive, um, which is, which is helpful um, when you're learning something new to like see someone that's already doing it. And then them be like, Oh yeah, like you got, you got some sauce is like a really nice thing. Positive reinsurance, right? So I that. Helps you build confidence. Yeah. Huh? And so I came back here and ironically, came back right here where I'm standing now. I sold my house in Arizona, made a nice little handsome profit because I had like really put a lot of sweat equity into remodeling it. And so, all of a sudden, I had like more money in the bank than I'd ever had it in a single time. It wasn't like a crazy amount, but I made like I don't know eighty thousand dollars profit on the house, and that was just like sitting there. And, and I lived in it for two years, so like it was tax exempt. It was just it was this nice nest egg. And then I moved back home with my parents and I keep them 30 years old. And like all my friends are fucking getting married and fucking having kids and like doing this. They're buying the houses. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to sell my house and move back in with mom and dad. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I did, man. And I took this barn that I'm standing in now and I just cleaned it up, um, and started painting. And I, I used like YouTube basically to like teach myself how to paint. And I would Google, like, how do you make a Banksy-type painting? And how do you make a Shepherd Fairy-style painting? And then I would just do, like, learn by doing. So you taught yourself it. to paint and you taught yourself all the, everything about gardening, right? That's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the gardening came much later. Um, now I'm back here. And, like, you know, to me, like, that's just an extension of my art where I'm still a very, like, commercial artist. I like to produce work that does sell. And then I can take that money and I can buy more art supplies and I can put it back into like my own journey. But like, there's something about gardening now, now that I'm back again and I am putting stuff in the ground, planting these little seeds and then waiting to see what happens is like, it's this type of art that I could never sell. It also just changes every single day. Like this garden is never the same two days in a row because I plant something new. I'm moving plants around. Uh, we had a lot of rain this year. So we're like thinking about how are we going to manage the water and dig some ditches and, build some ponds mm -hmm. and so like yeah i mean gardening is definitely an art to me and same thing like hands-on i don't i don't have any formal training i just fucking look up a youtube video or <laughs> google something and then i just go my hands dirty so who found who did tops find you or did you find tops uh tops found me in 2019 and so i had just moved to new york uh from cal from uh from California and I, I just I wanted to I wanted to say I did it and live in New York once and like you know that's an artist kind of mecca oh yeah 
and I moved out there, I didn't really have a lot of like opportunities, uh, like waiting for me. I didn't know anyone out there yet, but tops reached out to me cause they had seen some of the work that I'd done with, uh, some lacrosse athletes and invited me for a phone call. And then they told me about project 2020 and, you know, I grew up collecting cards. And so that like totally relit that fire for me. Um, my dad and I have every single card from like 1985, which is the year I was born. Um, he started collecting sets where like he would keep one set sealed and he'd be like, this is going to be Blake's college fund. <laughs> and it turned out to be like all the junk wax era stuff, yeah. you know, cause it was, you know, eighties and nineties. That's how it was. But the memories but between you and your dad though, man, like some of the times is opening packs. Who were the, who were the teams around you growing up that you were able to go see play? No, the Oakland A's, um, we're actually, we're kind of equidistant from the Giants and the A's. And we ended up choosing, as when I was a kid and my dad was a young father, uh, choosing the Oakland A's because Candlestick Park, where the Giants were playing at the time, was so fucking windy and cold. And so the Oakland Coliseum was a little bit more sheltered. And uh, like I said, about the same distance. You just crossed the, you know, the Bay Bridge instead of the Golden Gate. And so we went and... You know, we would do Oakland A's season tickets every year, watching Mark McGuire come up through the through the minors and play on like Team USA. He was kind of he was always my guy. Okay. And uh, yeah, and then like Project Twenty Twenty had a Mark McGuire card in it, which was his rookie card, and it was just it was so iconic to me. Like with that wood grain border, that eighty seven, it was just uh, it was magical to get to like recreate that, and then because Mark played such an important role in my life as a kid, and like, I, I liked him above everyone in the whole fucking universe. Um, I like told that story when I made the card and then he ended up seeing it. And like Mark and I are now friends and like, which actually reminds me, I need to invite him up here to the garden, but he lives down in San Diego now. Um, you know, he sends me like a video on Christmas of him and the family saying, happy Merry Christmas, man. Like, that's awesome. It's really fucking special. Um, so yeah, Oakland days, we're my fucking jam. It's kind of cool. And then we would also, um, we lived in we lived in Florida for a little while in my childhood. And so we'd go to a lot of spring training and we would see the uh, Texas Rangers um, a lot, kind of where we were in Sarasota. We had a, a PCL team here in Edmonton for a while until Nolan Ryan took the team and moved them to the States. But we had the Angels and the Oakland Athletics were our teams. Uh, we were the AAA affiliate for the A's and the Angels. So we saw like Matt Stairs no, come up. We saw, you know, mm-hmm. Big Mac come to town, but he was you know, obviously with, they weren't affiliated with the A's at the time, but we were able to see him for the one year he had in, in AAA, but I was only two years old, but to do this interview with you, I went back and look at some of the stats and you would have been seeing him come up at the same time. We were seeing him come up here in Edmonton. So that, that was kind of cool to see. Yeah. And there was this interesting uh, story that, um, that I just remember like, there's a lot of stories like this, but this one's fucking special. We were driving, we were on a road trip, and it was me and my mom and dad, and we were driving down in San Diego, which is where uh, Mark is from. And so this is when he was still in the minors, but I think he was playing on Team USA already. And we're driving down the freeway, I-5, pretty, pretty far south, and side by side, we see Mark McGuire. I, I mean, I'm, I'm like four years old at this time, so I don't remember this, but I, I know this the story that my parents tell. So they look or they see Mark McGuire driving the car next to them. And they're like, holy shit, that's Mark McGuire. <laughs> Wave at him. So they're like waving frantically at him. And he's like, what the fuck? Is something wrong with my car? Yeah, I got a flat tire. And then tire. my dad grabs, 
Yeah, so my dad grabs his Oakland A's hat. He has this old school like dad hat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the A's logo, and he's like waving it out the window to like show Mark, like Oakland A's, Oakland A's. And so Mark, you know, like gives it a thumbs up and and leaves. And then we end up seeing him later that year in Phoenix, in Arizona, at spring training. And my dad said, "Hey, you know, a couple months back, we were driving on I five. We saw you driving, and I'm the guy that waved." this hat at you he remembered and he said oh yeah yeah he's like yeah you guys are my freeway fans <laughs> and so you know and he said he's like you know he was still he wasn't even called up yet so he's like i didn't know like to him he's like you guys are like my first fans you know you even recognize me you know 400 miles south of where i'm playing baseball and i'm not even fucking playing on the team yet so that was like a pretty special thing and then every time we would see mark after that you know, we saw him play in Oakland a fuck ton of times. And then we saw him when he went to St. Louis. Uh, we did a road trip and we went and saw him play there. And so every time we would be like, hey, we're the freeway fans. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, how you doing? And so, like, you know, to reconnect fucking like 20 fucking 30 years later, like 30 years later and be like, Mark, I'm fucking painting a baseball card of you. And by the way, I'm the freeway fan. Oh. He's like, holy shit, man. That, <laughs> like, it's that's fucking cool. crazy. That is really, really cool, mm-hmm. man. Um, back in 09, wife and I took a trip to Seattle. Uh, Griffey had made his return to play with the Mariners and we had media passes and uh, I ran out to right field during batting practice and, uh, wanted a ball cause he was in the first team up. So I get out to right field and of course two security guys quickly approach me saying, you can't be here. It's not open to public yet. I flashed my little media pass. All of a sudden there's like a crack and, uh, this, one of the ushers throws me a ball and I'm just like, he's, you know, look of disgust. I don't want that one. It's like, what one do you want? The one that Junior just hit out. So I got the ball, put it in my pocket, ran back, ran back down to the berm to my wife, and then ten years later, I got the ball signed by Ken Griffey Junior. So that's my special mm-hmm. moment. And like, it's cool that you grew up on I Mac and I grew up Griffey, and I'm guessing you were a Griffey fan as well. I was, man. I was. Um, yeah, I mean, dude, dude, we like we got so lucky. Like our our generation, it's just like these fucking icons. Do you remember that, like, that 1998 what? season very well? Like Max here? Do you remember, like, ev- not every detail, but do you remember a lot of it? Like the home run fucking fest. Yeah. <laughs> it was Sosa. It was Sosa, yeah, and if I mean, Griffey wasn't hurt, but it would have been a better race. But, yeah, it was Griffey the year before. But, yeah, no, that, that yep, race between yep. those two guys, it was like, that's what you were turning on TV. And then, oh, look, Tiger Woods is winning another major. It was just, what a time, eh? Hey? Totally, yeah. Yeah, I sure, I sure do. And, you know, it was, like, it's funny because, like, to me, like, Mark is always, like, Oakland Athletics. And I just remember him in that fuck in the green and yellow. But, like, getting to know him now and talking to him now, like, he really feels like uh, St. Louis was, like, his team. Like, he was Cardinal. And as an adult, I can, like, grasp, I can, like, I can understand that better now. But, like, as a kid, I just remember, like, when he left A's and, fucking playing in St. Louis. Like, he kind of, like, uh, it lost a little bit of the luster for me. And I'm like, well, man, he doesn't play for my team anymore. But, um, yeah, man, what a fun time to be alive. What uh, What were your thoughts on Moneyball, the movie? Oh, dude, I I, enjoy, I loved Moneyball. Wasn't Philip Seymour Hoffman the, the perfect guy to play the manager role? He is, man. He's always such a fun, like, like mysterious character where you're like good guy, bad guy. I don't fucking know. Like Hunger Games, fucking same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So I think it's, it's interesting. And, and it's funny now that you mentioned that, like it makes me want to go back and uh, watch Moneyball again because it was really good art. And I have this like crazy appreciation for any art and any expression. And, you know, now I'm expressing it as gardening and in the past I've done it as baseball cards. And like, I see movies now in, in like a different way. And I, you know, just watching the Academy Awards the other night, like, man, it's just, it's really fun to see how, you know, all of us little monkeys like to tinker and move things around and express ourselves. And, uh, yeah, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is fucking right where he needs to be, man. Is it hard to be an artist and design sport, sports cards knowing that you're not going to please everyone? And, like, how did you deal with that? Because, you know, people can hide behind their keyboard on, on, you know, on social media and they can be pretty hurtful. That's true. Uh, and the hobby is like really polarizingly cruel sometimes. Oh, like yeah. jealousy, jealousy too. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with 2020, like, you know, dude, like baseball cards have been around for a long fucking time. And like the people that have been collecting it since it started are like, well, this is how it is. And this is how it should be. And it's gotta be these photographs. And it has to be this thing. And like, it can't be, don't paint it. Uh, it's like really interesting um, that some people are so stuck kind of in that like what used to be or like what, what they just assume is normal. I think that it's really wonderful how Project 2020 kind of normalized bringing more art back into like the baseball cards. Because like before, the earliest fucking baseball cards were hand-painted. They were portraits because we didn't have the technology to be able to shoot like in a bunch of digital photos like we can now and then yeah. just pick the best one and throw that throw that fucking sweet swing on a card, Griffey. Yeah. Um, Get that hat on backwards. You know, so it's, yeah. So I think that like, fortunately, I felt like I was really kind of insulated from, from the negativity where like, I'm a really, really positive person. Uh, sometimes I think to the point of like, turning people off. If they're like, what the fuck? What's in that guy's water? Like, what? why is he so happy about everything? Even the fucking bad shit. But, like, I realized that, like, blowout cards, blowout forums is, is this spot where, like, a lot of those old card collectors congregate and they fucking bitch about stuff and they bitch about shipping times and they bitch about the art and, like, everything. Sticker autos, sticker and autos, like, yeah. Yeah, sticker autos, yeah, like, fucking everything, man. And, and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to spread some positivity. And so... I think I was the first artist in Project 2020 to like lean into that site and like comment on everything. And people would say, hey, I fucking hate that fucking Willie Mays, Blake Jamison card. That shit's a disgrace to the original. Like, fuck that guy. And I would pop in and leave a comment and say, hey, thank you for taking the time to like write something about my card. Like, sorry that it didn't speak to you, but for me, it felt really good to make. And like, I was, I'm happy that I'm here. And like, it's pretty hard for people to like stay mad at you when you're just nice to them. No. And that's when you and Tony were giving away the cards too online. You know, you just had to go watch your live every night on YouTube and you were the first one to do that as well. And just by showing up in your lobby and saying, hello, uh, the people working for you, an awesome guy named Tony just would take your name and he would send you one card, one piece of art done by you in the mail with a sticker and a personal thank you letter. And like it doesn't get any better than that. And that's like the most personable. And that goes back to your job before you knew how to relate to people. You knew how to sell to people and you knew what people want. People just want to be kind and, and be appreciative and be acknowledged and be noticed. And even 
you you answer everyone's DMs. And I, I watched an interview to get ready for this interview, and you said something really interesting, and I did the same thing. You used to slide and not slide. I don't like that word. You used to message people's DMs, athletes, celebrities, um, about your art and different ideas you had and and stuff like that. And and that's basically how I got in touch with you two years ago. And yeah, it doesn't. What's the worst thing? They're not going to reply or they're going to say no. I'm not saying send someone a thousand messages, but just reach out and say, hey, I'm going through this no, in my but, life. But you went through this. Let's talk. Send like, don't send one person a thousand messages, but send a thousand people a message. Yeah, because you'll like, get you're one. Gonna get, yeah. You're going to get like a hundred. You're going to get about a hundred messages back that, with professional athletes. Yeah, probability. You message, you're going to get 10 responses. And five of those responses might just say, I don't have time for this shit. You know, it might be like a negative. You know, it might be a thing that says, no. But I'm too busy during the season like, right now. But when the season's over, yeah. try me again and maybe we can connect. That gives you a little more confidence, another reason to send another 30 messages out because you know what? You, you, you got a hook on the line. You got something on the line, you know? Yep. Yeah, man. I played that fucking numbers game a lot. Um, you know, that's how I built my business is I, I just reached out to the athletes that I wanted to work with. And I said, hey, I like what you're doing with your fucking body. Let me fucking do something with my body to celebrate you. Uh, and like people are receptive to that. And like same thing with you, like reaching out about a podcast which I know we've been talking about for a long time. I'm sorry it took so long, but like, man, there's nobody, nobody, nobody in the whole fucking world that if they're persistent and they reach out to me and it might take a couple times sometimes cause I do get busy, but if they're just like, Hey, I want to, I want to talk to you. I will always make myself available. And like, to some extent, these athletes are the same way, you know, they will make themselves available to you. It's important if you bring something that like value, that adds value to them where they can see that benefit. It's easier because that's just kind of how we are as humans. It's, it's a little bit transactional sometimes, but like bring something to the table that they appreciate and they're going to fucking respond to you and you're probably going to get what you want. And all you got to do is just give them whatever they want. And you know, it's not that fucking hard. It's really simple actually. No, it's not at all. You're listening to Mint Condition this week. I'm joined by artist Blake Jameson. Blake, before I let you go, what are you working on now? I know. Are you done the, the top Star Wars cards, or are they are they just at the completion line right now? Yeah, man. Oh God, the Star Wars thing is such a nice, um, like a refreshing thing to move to from the sports stuff because at this point, I've painted well over a thousand athletes, uh, somewhere between one and two thousand, but definitely way over a thousand and like you know if you paint someone with a sweet swing or fucking a great fucking catch in the fucking end zone or like whatever like there's just there's only so many ways i feel like i could do it and so like i pay after painting a thousand athletes i'm like you know i could use i could do something different and so i moved back to california and i got this fucking garden going where i'm like making this art that is the opposite of like my top cards my top cards intention is to be commercial and I want them to be like seen and appreciated and purchased. But when I'm working in the garden, I'm just like planting these little seeds and I'm building these little nooks and I'm putting this little magic in the ground and in, in my surroundings that like, even if I wanted to, there's no way I can't sell it. You can't just say, Hey, let me, let me buy that fucking, I mean, I guess I could fucking sell a flower out of my garden, but <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's just a different kind of soul food for me. No, I got you. And so the garden right now is feeding my soul, but the star Wars stuff, the top has been really nice. Cause a, like 
as an art piece. Like Star Wars is such a beautiful piece of intellectual property. Like, man, what George Lucas built and now like what John Favreau is like really carrying that torch is so nice. And so I have these Star Wars cards and they just, just recently, um, I have a box actually I'm looking at right now in my studio. It's unopened. It's my last batch of Star Wars cards, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, which are my last two in this set of 20. And they said that they might continue it okay. because, you know, they're, they're continuing to make, you know, they made Andor, uh, which is the newest, yep. I believe, or not a new Mandalorian. Mandalorian is the newest, but yeah, know, they're before all, that, yeah. Yeah. So they're adding new stuff. So like you snuck in a couple of indoor characters into the end of my set. But, you know, Tops is acquired by Fanatics, and that changes the dynamic of business. And so I feel like when Tops was Tops, not that Fanatics isn't Tops, but Fanatics is Fanatics. Like yeah. they have their own employees, they have their own artists that they like to work with, they have their own friends. Like that's fine. Um, but my relationship with Tops is, is it's uh, it's a question mark, you know, what it's going to be like in the future. And so Nick, who I work with there, and he was there before Fanatics came in. Nick is a fucking amazing shout out to you, Nick. If you ever listen to this podcast, I fucking appreciate you. And man, we'll I'm find Nick. We'll find Nick. I'll tag him. We'll find him. We will. But um, Nick told me kind of recently saying, you know, I think that uh, Disney might continue this. And so, like, the Star Wars set that I'm doing now is 20 cards alongside another amazing fucking artist, Brittany Palmer, who is just fucking beautiful inside and out. Her art's fantastic. And it was really, it was a really nice honor to do that set with her because I ran into her at a Tops uh, Series 1 release for 2020, fuck, 2022. God, that was a long time ago. Um, and she said, oh, what are you going to, are you going to do anything next with Tops? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm a little bit burned out on baseball for the time being, for just painting, she's like, well, I'm going to do a Star Wars set. And I was like, oh, fuck, I love Star Wars. And so <laughs> then I told Nick and Michael, I said, guys, I really, really like Star Wars. If you guys want to do another, you know, add another artist, I don't want to steal any Britney Thunder, but boy, I would love to paint some. And they said, yeah, two, we, were, we wanted two artists for this set. And so she did 20 cards and I did 20 cards. And they were pretty well received. I think, like, it's interesting... You know, Star Wars is so niche. Where like the print runs for some of these Star Wars cards are like 200, 300 cards, and like man, for my top twenty twenty cards, the lowest was like two thousand. About your, your Mike Trout John, was what John, 80, 70, 80,000? Uh, and that was wild. And like man, yeah, it's polarizing. Like wow, seventy six thousand people bought that Mike Trout card. Like I've never made. And, and it's, again, it's not about money, but I've never made more money from a single painting than that one Mike Trout card where, like, I got to keep, I still have the painting on this property. And I made six figures from it because it fucking sold 76,000 copies. It's insane. And, you know, that's, like, going to be the joke, lat, like, you know, that one. And then also the Griffey by, um, uh, what's his name, Keith, uh, Keith Shore. Yeah. Those, which just. 100k like those two are like that's like junk wax basically of project 2020 which is hilarious that like i got to see both sides but it's kind of fun now to work on like star wars where i still put the same amount of heart and soul into the work and then it sells and like not a lot of people know like star wars fans aren't necessarily like well i gotta go to top.com for the drop this week it's just not the same they're not as like i don't know 
So it's really interesting, you know, doing these, these cards where like the print runs are super small and it's just like, it's fun. And so I think they might keep it going, but we'll see. How can people follow you along, Blake? And how can people find your work? I think that Twitter, you know, if someone wants to like talk and like have a response that is very like personal <laughs> to them. I send a lot of like video tweets and replies and stuff. Twitter is the best place. It's Jameson, J-A-M-I-E-S-O-N. Um, is a good spot. And then Instagram, I'm at athlete.portrait. And you can search either athlete portraits or you can search my name, Blake Jamison, and you'll find it. But Instagram's an interesting one. I kind of had this, uh, I took a pause on Instagram for quite some time, for like the last six months since I've been home. Okay. And I just got back on Instagram like two days ago and I posted a couple new photos saying, okay, I'm fucking back. <laughs> um, so Instagram is a thing where you can see some visually like what I'm working on. And I'm going to post some fresh content, but I think like conversations is what I'm all about. And Twitter is the best place for that. So at Blake Jameson on Twitter. Awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time this week, Blake. I really appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Thank you. Of course. That's a long time in the making. But we got it done. Here we are. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate all this. Right, but yeah, likewise, man. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Mint Condition with Brad Slater. And a huge thank you to Blake Jameson for joining me there. You can check him out again on Twitter, at Blake Jameson. Same name on Instagram. Man, that guy's talented. I can't draw a stick, man. This guy's taking spray paint cans and creating Michael Jordan and, like, Muhammad Ali and these masterpieces, and I, I can't even draw a stick, man, you know? That's why I stick to sports cards, you know? It's the best way to go. Like Homer said, not good at something, never try So, earlier I mentioned eBay and how I had bad luck with breaks this week. And I went to that deep, dark, scary place called eBay, which is very scary, especially, you know, late at night. Bad decisions can be made. You wake up in the morning. Huh? Mark Brunel, RPA. (sighs) Just kidding. Anyways, some tips I like to use for card purchasing on eBay are... I like to look at the times that ads end. I like to watch and bid on ads that end, you know, when people are having a busy time of day. Monday to Friday, ads ending at 4.30, 6 p.m. You're driving home from work. You're thinking about dinner, you know, your kids are there. You're not thinking cards, you're not thinking auctions. At least, you know, most people aren't. I'll set an alarm on my phone and I'll type in, hey, Connor McDavid card ending 7.55. It, I'll set my alarm for 7.45. And then I'll just watch it. And then my mentality with auctions are that say the card's 150. Ask yourself, what's the max you're willing to go? If you're willing to go to 215, when there's three, four seconds, two seconds, one second left, you hammer in that $215 bid or whatever the max is you're about to spend that you're willing to spend. And chances are you're going to get that card. But if you go 160, 165, 171, just really close to that, you know, the price that it's currently at, you're probably going to lose it. And it's going to happen last second. And it's going to happen like it always happens. You think the auction's over. You're waiting for that. Congratulations, you won the card. No. Sorry, you lost out. How did that happen? Quickly go down to the bids. Or... How did it happen? So don't let that happen. Just, you know, ask yourself what you're willing to spend. Set your max. Get that card. Other tips that I got are spelling errors. You can look for ads 
um, say a guy's name, Wayne Gretzky, for example, say they mixed up the T and the Z or the K. Don't ask me how, but it happens. And you'll find that ads with spelling name errors have lower view counts and lower people seeing them because people aren't searching for spelling spelling mistake names. So it's really hard to find them, but that's another trick that I've used in the past is to look for the error ads. Come on, I make spelling mistakes too. Same for Facebook. If you're looking on Facebook ads and auctions that are ending, what I like to do is I like to go to Google and I like to open time in seconds because most auctions you see on Facebook will end at the top of the hour. 559, 59, 59 seconds. Last bid in gets the card. So what I'll do is I'll open time in real seconds on my phone. And then I'll have the little button on the bottom left-hand corner that lets you toggle screen to screen. And I'll go back to the auction page. And I'll stay there till there's like 15, 20 seconds left. I'll go back, watch the time, go back, watch the time, vice versa. And that's the best way to get your bid in last second. Say when the clock's with like 954 Go put your bid in because it does take one to two seconds for Facebook to process your message and post it. And you don't want to be after the time because then they do the timestamp, which basically is when the person running the auction will move their mouse cursor over the last bid and it will show the time that that person posted it. So you want to be under six o'clock. So time in seconds, open it on Google, set alarms, look for auctions ending at weird times of days. And once again, it's just a gamble. Just do your best. Don't get down on yourself because the best case, there's so many other cards, you know, of the same card out there. Unless you're going for one of ones, then I can't help you. But just use eBay search function too. Can't talk. Type in the card you're looking for. And then there's a little heart icon. Hit that. Anytime someone posts the card you just searched for to eBay, you can get an email in your inbox saying, hey, this card was just posted. You were interested in it before. Come get it. So that's another thing that I use to keep track of popular cards, trending prices, is save your searches. Because each day you'll get an email, usually about 3, 4 in the morning, you'll wake up to it. And it'll be about all the people that have posted any card that you've searched for recently and saved. So just another tool to use to help build that PC, because that's what I do here at Mint Condition, is help you. All right. It's winning time. It is mailing weekend, so I will be mailing out the first two winners last week of my mystery packs. This week, winner number one. I'm going to butcher these names this week, by the way. Scott Wazalewski. Wazalewski. I tried my best. He sent in an array of cards, including a beautiful Connor McDavid allure. So Scotty picked himself up a mystery pack. I'll be contacting you, Scott. Get your address. Second winner is Nick Ryman. Nick Ryman, he goes by the Man on Twitter. Pretty awesome if he was a science teacher. He sent in some vintage cards, including an eight-piece relic card featuring, get this, Jacques Plante, Grant Fuhr, Patrick Waugh, and Ken Dryden. So Nick and Scott got themselves some mystery packs. If you want to get yourself a mystery pack, all you got to do, send me an email at mint at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter. Doesn't even have to be direct. Just on my regular page, just send me a picture of a card you own. My Twitter handle, at mycardsarmint. mint at gmail.com. 
Just send me a picture of any cards you own. You go into the draw, and these cards are going to be going out to you this weekend, Scott and Nick. See? The winning continues here on Mint Condition. Next time on Mint Condition. Good play to Devereaux. Now to down the shot. Same rebound. Larac scores! George Larac! And it's a 1-0 hockey day. Fourth goal of the year for Big George. He's going hard to the net. Usually he's... Top of the slot and rolls it in. It's loose in front. And here's Hammer looking up. He scores! It hit Larac! Devereaux trying to pick it up. Got it to Larac in front. Larac by himself. He scores! Hat trick, George Larac! Hat trick, George Larac! And they're going wild! His first NHL hat trick, Big George scoring. His hat trick goal of the game. Sixth on the year at 11 points. Scored by number 27, George Larac! Do you smell what the Rock is cooking? That's right. Big George. George LaRock, longtime Edmonton Oilers, is going to join me next week. He's got a new line. He's had it for a while. Card protectors and other products. BGL protectors. We're going to have George on next week. We're going to be talking sports cards, talk Oilers, Montreal Canadiens. I'm just looking forward to having him on. Little story here. I worked at the Bounce radio station here in Edmonton back in 2006. And George had himself a nighttime call-in dating talk show with uh, one of the local DJs here, Kwame. But uh, yeah, lots of stories with George. So that'll be next week. Again, thank you all for listening. Much appreciated. If you like what you hear, leave me some stars. Send me some comments. Let me know you like it. And for now... Everyone take care. Happy sipping. Happy ripping. Take care, everybody.